0: So uh, we started the series what seems like an eternity ago, didn't we? I don't expect you to remember what's going on with this. I'll catch you up here in just a second. Uh, but if you missed part one or if you hear something today that you think would be good for somebody else to hear, you got somebody that you want to uh, share this with, uh, the easiest way to share these messages is just to download our app. If you go to your app store on your phone and search Journey Coway, you can download our app, it's got all the messages, uh, along with some discussion questions, they'll be there. Or you can go to our website, journeycowway.com, and uh, find them there as well. We're going to jump into part two today, episode two, in just a minute. But before we do, I want to go ahead and tell you about something coming up in a couple of weeks I'm really excited about. I don't mean to freak you out with, it, uh, with this, but uh, time flies, and this is a little hard for any of us to believe. But on February 1st, on February 1st, we will be 60 days away from Easter. I felt we just started the year, didn't we? But on February 1st, we're going to be 60 days away from Easter. And so beginning Sunday, February 4th, I'm starting a brand new series that I'm really excited about. What I want to do is we're going to, we're going to take um, the weeks between February 4th and Easter Sunday on April 1st. And I'm going to hopefully get us all prepared And all ready for Easter and we're going to walk through some concepts and some ideas that are so practical and yet so important for all of us to understand and they'll hopefully set the context and the stage for why Easter really does matter. So much. The series we're beginning on February 4th is called Starting Point. Starting Point. A few of you have been in our Starting Point discussion groups. It's a uh, discussion group that uh, meets on Sunday mornings and we do them uh, once a semester. Well, I'm going to take the, the basic flow of the discussion book that you guys use in Starting Point if you've been through that, and I wanted to teach through it to all of us. Now, here's the thing about this series uh, this really is a series that's going to land with all of us and be really important for all of us in different ways. Some of you, you're just curious about faith, you're not sure what you believe, or you used to have faith and you walked away and you're not even sure, you know, you want to restart. And if you restart, what does that look like? Well, this series is going to help you figure that out. It's going to be really valuable for you. Some of you are followers of Jesus, but if you were honest, you would say your faith is stagnant, that it's just kind of there, there's a status quo, and you kind of go through the motions and do the deal, but it just doesn't feel really personal. It doesn't feel alive. It doesn't feel like it's growing. This series is going to help you pinpoint why that is, and how you can reignite your faith. Some of you have a, what you would consider to be a growing faith. You feel like you're taking steps. You feel like uh, things are good in that arena. Let me tell you what this is going to do. This series is going to do two things for you. One, it's going to fill in some gaps that you may not even realize you have when it comes to how you relate to God. That's going to be really valuable. But the other thing it's going to do is this. And you've, if, if you're like me, you've been in these situations where faith comes up in a conversation and you want to figure out a way to express why it matters to you, but you just don't know how it's like, I don't know what to say, and I don't want to say the wrong thing, and it just feels kind of awkward, this series is going to help you better understand how to articulate your faith, how to explain to somebody, well, this is why it matters to me, and this is what I believe. So I'm so excited about this series. It's going to be a big series for all of us. We've got some exciting things we're going to do with this series that we've never done before. I'm going to tell you about those next week. Don't miss next week uh, because I think you're going to really enjoy engaging in some different ways with this series. We're going to tell you about that next Sunday. But the one thing I would encourage you to begin thinking about right now is this. The content of this series is such that you're not going to be able to fully engage with it and embrace it and, and own it unless you're able to process through it with some people. So we want to give all of you an opportunity to have a small community or small group of people you can process this through with. It can be a group of your friends. It can be family. It can be a, a group of people that you know from here, just you know, a group of people who attend here. But we would like for you all to get in a group and to just commit to meeting once a week with a small group of people just for the uh, few weeks of this series so you can process this a little bit better. So we've got a lot, of, a lot of you, the majority of you are already in small groups. You'll just do this in your small group. But if you're not in a small group and you'd be willing to process through this with a small group of people just for a few weeks, you just need to come to GroupLink. Group link is going to be on Monday night, February the 5th. We're going to introduce you to some people or pull you and your friends together, however that is. We're going to let you guys get together, figure out when you want to get together for an hour and a half or so once a week just during this series to process through this. We'll give you everything you need to start. So if you haven't signed up for Group Link, there's info in your handout. You can go to trygroups.com. You can sign up right there. We'd love for you to do that. Now, today, we're going to jump back into the series, How to Be Brave, and let me just Take 60 seconds to catch you up and remind you what we're talking about, okay? I told you uh, last time that this series is one of those series that's probably going to seem a little bit offensive. I don't want, mean it to be offensive, but anytime we talk about this subject of this issue, it's just personal for everybody. I get that, and so we, we tend to be offensive. And it's going to sound offensive because I'm, I'm telling you that I'm going to teach you something you already think. That you're good at because what we're talking about here for the next couple weeks is this idea of how to be generous and again you think well I'm already a generous person you know what I don't need to hear that no no the data our data shows that most of us most of you don't actually know how to be generous again I don't mean for that to be offensive you're really good at giving you're good at random acts of giving you're good at being generous in certain moments you're really good at spontaneous generosity you're spontaneous giving but what I'm talking about is something entirely different I'm talking about what does it look like to be generous at the core of your being. It's not something you do every now and then. It's actually who you are. And it has a profound, profound, profound impact on you. And the reason I'm willing to tackle this at the beginning of the year and talk about it is because of how powerful this idea can be on every other arena of your life as you go throughout this next year. I don't want anything from you. I told you last time. There's no big ask for money at the end of this. That's not the way we do things around here. So this, this is not about getting anything from you. This is about offering something for you. I just, I just want for you to experience what Jesus taught happens when you actually learn how to be generous at the core of your being. What Jesus taught was this, that happy is a person whose life revolves around giving rather than res- receiving, not who gives every now and then, but Jesus said, you're, you're going to be way happier in life if you learn how to make your life revolve around giving rather than receiving. If you learn how to make your life revolve around generosity because Jesus, this is his quote, it's more blessed to give, he said, than it is to receive. So for this series, here's how we're defining generosity, okay? Generosity is the premeditated, calculated, designated emancipation of personal financial Assets. You'll never remember that. That's really clunky, but that's okay. Next week, week, we're going to talk about these three words, premeditated, calculated, and designated. I can't tell you what generosity looks like for you. I can't tell you how it's going to be expressed in your life. What I can do is this. I can give you some questions. Next week, I'm going to give you some questions that you can go home and you can talk through and think through and wrestle with, and you can figure out what it looks like for you to develop the habit of generosity that leads you to be generous and for all of your life to revolve around generosity so i think that's you know if we were honest most of us would say well i want to be that way these questions are going to help you figure out how today what i want to do though before we get to that practical part is i want to dive into this word right here the word emancipation of personal financial assets emancipation just means to set something free and what jesus taught is this that when you free your money you free yourself from your money This is really important to understand. None of us feel like we are controlled by money. None of us. If I said, okay, let's be honest here, raise your hand, if you think money's controlling your life, none of us would raise our hands in all probability. None of us think that because it's really good at hiding and disguising itself. But I'm telling you, you just think back over the last week, you think back over the last month, you think back over your last 90 days. If you have spent time worrying about money, then money is controlling your life. If you have felt anxiety or fear, stress money is controlling your life a lot of times the control of money shows up in pride or ego or materialism or self-centeredness it shows up in a lot of different ways in our lives we are far more controlled by money than we realize it drives our behaviors our actions our reactions it drives our relationships and how we relate with one another far more than any of us see and so if we're going to learn how to be generous, what has to happen is we have to get to the root of why we are letting money control our lives. So what I want to do is I want to try to basically help you to see or help you to understand what might be going on behind the scenes that's driving some behaviors or some emotions or some actions in you, and you didn't even realize it. So let me start right here. Most of us, most of us, feel financial pressure. Again, if you spent any time thinking and worrying about money or, you know, feeling that kind of pressure over something money related in the last few weeks then you know what I'm talking about most of us feel financial pressure the thing is we believe financial pressure when we feel it is caused by income and expenses it's always an income and expense problem I don't have enough income and my expenses are too high I don't have enough income I can't save enough or you know I can't I can't I can or I had this come in I didn't expect it I just haven't gotten a raise in forever I need to make more you know we always think it's an income and expense problem I want to suggest to you that the financial pressure you feel is actually not caused or driven by an income and expense problem. Here's what I would suggest: that most of us feel financial pressure because we've never learned to be generous. Now I know you don't believe that. You don't even have to act like you believe it. I know you don't. Like I, I get it. Right? None of us. We're like no, no, no. That's not what it is. It's an income problem. Let me show you. You know? No. Let me let me explain why I say this is true. You don't have to agree with me at the end, but just hear me out on this. Okay? I'm going to illustrate it with this circle. with this cycle right here when it comes to money when it comes to money there is one word that is most associated with any conversations or any thought about money you know what it is it is the word worry it's the word worry how much time do you spend worrying about money well i have enough to retire Will I have enough for the future? Will I have enough to, you know, send the kids to college? Will I have enough to cover those bills? Will I, you know, have enough to get out of debt? And i going to be able to pay that card off. And will I, and will I, and will I, you know, can I buy the ring? Will I get the house? Will I get the car? I mean, think about how much time we spend worrying about money and whether we're going to have enough or how are we going to get enough or how are we going to manage it. I mean, this is just a normal part of our lives. We don't even think anything's wrong with it. We just think, well, that's just the way it is. Everybody does this. Now, here's what's so odd about American, Americans. If you step outside of our culture, this isn't true in our, all cultures. But in the American way of thinking and in the American way of life, what most of us do when we worry about money is we make this choice. We actually spend all or more than we make. It's kind of weird, isn't it? But we've seen everybody do this at some point. We have done this ourselves at some point. I'm worried. I don't know if I'm going to have enough. Well, what are you going to do? Well, I'm just going to keep spending the way I've been spending, you know? just going to go buy some more stuff. I'm just going to go figure out how to afford that. And so we start spending more than we make. And then, this isn't true for a few of you. Some of you are savers. You're wired that way. I'm going to talk to you in a minute, so just hang on. But for most of us, for most of us, as we begin to spend more than we make, that often leads to debt, which just seems absolutely normal in our culture. Seems perfectly fine. It's the way everybody does it. You just finance that and you just borrow for that and you just, you just, you just, it's just you know, use that credit card. I mean, that just seems so normal. But if you pause and think about it for a minute, this is really irrational. In essence, we use debt to buy things. And by using debt, the price of that thing we bought, the moment we possess it, the price goes up and the value goes down. You've, you've had this happen to you. The price goes up because you're having to pay interest on that. It's not yours yet. And so the price that you said you were paying for it is not actually the price. It's that plus all the interest you're paying. So the price just keeps going up as you're owning it. Meanwhile, the value of it just keeps dropping lower and lower because now it's used. So it's not worth what it was worth 30 minutes ago when it was sitting on the shelf. Again, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but this is just normal in America. And then when we spend more, all that we make, and we end up carrying a little bit of debt, that leads us to this problem. We have no margin. No margin. And when you have no margin in your finances, when your expenses equal or maybe exceed your income, then guess what? You have something to be worried about, don't you? And the cycle just starts again. This is how most people manage their money. This is a picture of the carousel or the cycle most of us go through when it comes to money management. And on and on and on it goes, and where it stops, nobody really knows. We just hope we die before it stops and catches up with us, don't we? So we just keep going, keep going, and keep going. Now, think about this for a second. When you worry about your money, what are you worrying about? You are worrying about future consumption. Now, for 99.9% of us, when you worry about money, you are not worrying about present consumption. And by that I mean you are not sitting down... At the dinner table going, we have no food. I am worried about what we are going to eat in this moment because we have nothing. That's not what you're worried about. You're not worrying, we do not have a roof over our head tonight. I don't know where we're going to sleep. You're not, for most of you, that's not your worry. When you worry about money, you're worrying about what you're going to consume tomorrow or several tomorrows in the future. That's what you worry about. You don't worry about present consumption. You worry about future consumption. But again, as I said, as you worry about future consumption, the choice that most of us make is we then consume more than we can afford. I'm so worried. I don't know if I'm going to have enough there. I don't know if I'm going to be able to buy that there. So I'll tell you what. I'm going to consume today more than I can afford to consume. And we just make our problem worse. And in some cases, it leads to consumer debt. That's all consumer debt is. It's debt on something where the price is going up and the value of it's going down. Anything that depreciates in value and you owe money on, that is consumer debt. Debt, consumer debt. And then that leads to no margin for future consumption. And then you worry, and here we go all over again. So most of us spend our entire lives constantly worried about am I going to have enough to consume? in the future. I don't know, so I'm going to consume everything I can now. I'm going to consume more than I can afford now. I may end up in debt, and then I'm going to have to worry because I have no margin for future consumption. The numbers aren't adding up, and it doesn't look good, and I don't know how it's going to work, so let me worry some more, and here we go through the cycle. Now, let me hit pause on this for just a second, because all of you are smart people. You all know when I explain it this way, well, that's not smart. Like, that's not the way you ought to manage it, But most of us still think about our finances and manage them this way. So why is that? Why is that? Let me get you to think of it like this. What would it take? What would it take? How much more money would you have to make in order for you not to spend all or more than you make? How much more money would you have to make for you to stop today consuming more than you can afford? I want you to think about a number. And we've all kind of played this game anyway, haven't we? Like we heard what somebody was making, we thought, whoa, if I made that much, I would never, you know, I would, I'd be fine. So I want you to think about this. Would it be 10% more, 25%, 50%, you know, twice as much as what you make now? I want you to think of a number in your head. Now, I'm going to tell you what your answer is, okay? The answer to that question, how much more money would you have to make, is this. More than you're probably ever going to get at once. Isn't that true? You're not going, to, in all probability, you're not walking into the office tomorrow, and they're going to look at you and say, hey, guess what? We're giving you a 50% raise today. It's probably not going to happen. Nope, for most of us, what happens is this. Our income creeps up just a little bit at a time. Some of you are working places where you're like, tell them that, because that's not going, going on. I know, I know. But, but over, think long term, like over the course of your life, all right, over the course of your life. Your income just keeps creeping up in most cases. That's what we all want and wish for, right? It's what we hope will happen. Our income creeps up. But what happens is, as our income creeps up, our expenses creep up right along with it. Now, the reason I point that out is because we think we end up in this mess because of an income and expense problem. I want to suggest to you it's very different. I want to suggest that we end up here because of a self-control problem. I know that wasn't very nice, was it? But just hang with me for a second. The reason we consume more than we can afford is not because we don't make enough money. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, one day you may make 25% more than you make right now, and you're gonna find yourself in the very same place. Not because it's a you're not making enough, because your expenses just keep creeping up with your income. You don't have the self-control to say no to some things. Let me ask you this: let's talk about debt. How much money would you have to make? How much more? For you to pay off all your debt, all your credit cards, and never use debt again to purchase anything. Just think about that. How much more money? 25 50%, two times as much. For you never to use a credit card again. For you to pay off all your balances. How much more money would you have to make for you never to lease or finance a car again? You just pay cash for your cars, pay cash for your furniture, pay cash for whatever. How much would you have to make? The answer is the same, more than you're ever going to make in all probability at one time. You're never going to take that jump. So when you find yourself wrestling with consumer debt, you have to understand that's not an income problem. That's actually a contentment problem. That's a contentment problem. You have some discontent that is driving your behaviors, and discontent is like any other appetite. It is never fully or finally satisfied. So it doesn't matter how much money you make. You're always going to struggle with this if you don't learn the secret and the habit of contentment. Okay, let me ask you about this one. How much extra are you gonna have to make in order to have margin, in order to be at peace, in order to feel like, oh, I'm good, I got got plenty extra. Again, more than you're ever gonna get at one time. Because again, it's not an income problem. This is a discipline problem. This is, I don't have enough discipline to say yes to the right habits and the right things. I don't have enough discipline to say yes to saving. I don't have enough discipline to say yes to managing my money in a way that I create margin for myself between my income and my expenses. Now, one more question, but this is just for those of you who consider yourselves Christians, okay? So if you're a Jesus follower, tune in. If you're not, you're not sure where you are in this, you can play along if you want, but this, you know, this doesn't have to apply to you. For all of us who are Christians, let me ask you this question. How much more money would you have to make to stop worrying about money? This is such a great question. You should think about this. How much more? You have thought about this. Again, you have heard of people who are making a certain amount of money or you got a brother-in-law or whatever the case may be, and you thought, if I made that much money, I'd never worry about money again. I bet you are making an amount of money. If you're, if you're in your 30s or above... You are making an amount of money right now that when you were in your 20s, you thought, if I ever made that amount, I wouldn't worry about money again. And here we are still worrying, right? So if you're a Christian, how much more money would you have to make to stop worrying? More than you're ever going to get at one time. Because again, this is not about income and expenses. You know what your worry is about? It is a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. Listen, Jesus talked about this a lot. Jesus never once said, hey, do not worry. Don't worry about your life. Here's the solution. You want to stop worrying? Here's this. Jesus didn't stand up at the Sermon on the Mount and say, I'll tell you how to stop worrying. You need to save more money. You need to get out of debt. Jesus never talked about that. Now, those are all good things. But he never made those the solution to worry. Here's what Jesus taught. For those of us who are Christians, if we worry about money, it is because we are trusting in riches and not in him who richly provides. Jesus said, if you find yourself as a Christian worrying about money, then you are trusting in money to bring you security more than in the one who can provide for you whatever you need. That's what Jesus taught. That it was about trusting in riches that creates worry in all of our lives. So here's what I want to ask you. What is it that's behind the scenes that drives all this? If more money, if more money is not going to give you more self-control, it won't, will it? If more money is not going to give you more contentment, it won't. If more money is not going to give you more discipline, it won't. I can introduce you to people who make four times what you make, ten times what you make, and they still worry, they still lack self-control, they still are discontent, and they still don't have discipline. If more money doesn't solve any of these things, then what's actually driving this? See, if you and I don't figure out what's driving our behavior, then we'll keep assuming we just need a little more money, and we'll never get out of this crazy cycle. Well, Jesus taught that there is a faulty belief at the heart of all of this. Now, you understand that your beliefs, what you believe about certain things, drive your behaviors. I mean, that's just, that's common sense. But when you have a faulty belief about something, it's going to drive you to a particular destination or it's going to drive you to a particular behavior that's actually very, very unhealthy for you. And Jesus taught that there is an assumption that is behind how we manage our money. And the assumption is what I call the consumption assumption. The consumption assumption simply means this. It is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. Whatever comes to me is for me. Whatever's put in my hands, okay, well, that's, that's m- my job to take care of that and to do with that whatever I want. It's mine. I own it. So if it's put in my hands, the first question that I'm going to ask myself is, what do I want to do with this? How can I use this to benefit me? Because I own it. I earned it. I deserve it. I got it. This is a consumption assumption. And most of us live our lives by this. We don't realize it. But I'll tell you how you can tell real quickly. Think back to the last time that you got a little bit of extra money. You got a bonus at work you didn't know was coming. Uh, Somebody, you know, family member sent you a check. You got some inheritance. I don't know what it was. You picked up some extra hours. Think back to the last time you got some extra money you didn't realize was coming. You picked up a job you didn't think you were going to get. What was the very first thought you had when you realize that extra money was coming your way. If your very first thought was, how am I gonna use this for me, then you're being driven by the consumption assumption. And this is how we all tend to think, isn't it? Now Jesus had a word for this that was actually a lot more harsh than the consumption assumption. Jesus said, if you believe this way and you let this drive the way you manage your money, that what's actually driving your life is greed, to which we all go, no, 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 I know greedy people, I'm not greedy. She said, yeah, you're greedy. Jesus taught that greed disguises itself in a lot of different forms, that the last thing greed wants to do when it's in your heart is let you see it. So greed has many faces. Greed shows up in many places. Sometimes greed shows up as worry or anxiety or fear. Sometimes greed shows up as, well, I'm just planning. I'm just being prepared. I'm just getting ready for the future. I'm just providing for my family. Sometimes greed shows up in the form of pride or ego or selfishness. I mean, greed shows up in a lot of different ways. It has many faces. It shows up in a lot of different places because it loves to disguise itself. If you see greed in you, then you're going to deal with it. But none of us can see it because it hides so well behind other behaviors and other emotions in our life. But Jesus said this is at the root of everything. Greed is at the root of why you consume more than you can afford. Greed is at the root of why you carry consumer debt. Greed is at the root of why you have no margin and no discipline. And greed is at the root of why you and I worry. One day, Jesus was teaching a few thousand people. It was a huge crowd there that day. And these two brothers come walking up, and one of them interrupts. Now, you know, they had to be pretty fired up about this to interrupt Jesus in the front of a few thousand people. One of the brothers interrupts, and they are in an argument, the two brothers, over their father's inheritance. And one of them believes that the other one is taking advantage of him, and he's not getting what he deserves. It is an injustice. And so he interrupts Jesus and says, Okay, okay, hear what you're teaching. That's all important. But here, I need you to solve this dispute between me and my brother. And he tells him what's going on. And he basically says, Tell my brother to be fair with me. And you know what Jesus says? Jesus says, No, no, this isn't about fairness, and this isn't about justice. This is actually about greed. And he calls him greedy in front of all these thousands of people. Can you imagine how embarrassing that must have been? And the man, as you could imagine, argues back and goes, No, 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 this is not about greed. This is about justice. He's not being right. And she says, No, he is being right. I mean, it's not about that. It's not about any of that. This is about you're greedy and you're greedy. That's why the two of you are fighting over this. And then he told a story. And I want to read you this story. And for all of you who have a tendency to consume more than you can afford, to spend more than you make, this is going to hit home. For all of us who aren't spenders, we're savers, and we want to hold on to everything and as much as we can for future consumption, this is going to hit home. Here's what Jesus said about greed. He said this is a made-up story, okay, but he a made-up story to make a point. He said the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. In other words, it was just like back then what it is now. The rich just keep getting richer. That's what Jesus says. This guy already had a ton, and then he got even more. So here's what happened. He thought to himself... What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Oh, my goodness, I, don't, I didn't plan on this. Like, we've already maxed out all of our storage space. What are we going to do? Honey, we're going to have to finish the basement down there, I guess. Or we're going to have to buy a bigger house. Or should we build a barn? Should we rent more storage units? Like, what do we need to do? I didn't see this coming. And i gotta, I got to figure out how to hold on to all of this extra coming my way. Story goes on. Then he said, this rich man, This is what I'll do. Now, let me pause before I read to you what he did. You know what the rich man did? You could guess. The rich man did exactly what he'd always done because he assumed what he had always assumed. Now, just hang with me for a second. Don't miss this. This is the thing about money. When the rich man got more, it did not make him generous. It made him richer. It didn't change his habits. It just made him richer. Here's the thing about money. The more money you get, whether it's incrementally year over year, whether it's, you know, big thing all at once, here's the thing about money. Money always magnifies who you already are. It does. You ask anybody who's landed with a whole lot of money or they've, you know, been very successful and earned a lot of money, they'll tell you this. Money doesn't change you. It just magnifies who you already are. Now, you've met people and you, said mu- you knew people and they didn't have a lot and then they had a lot and you said money changed them. No, it didn't. It just magnified what was already in their heart. It just became a lot more obvious to see. And I'm telling you, next year, the year after, the year after, you just look down your future. There's going to be a day when you got more money than you have today, in all probability. And that money will not change your habits. It will not make you more generous. It will not make you more self-controlled, more self-disciplined, more content. It will just magnify who you already are. That's what it did to the rich man. He said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grains. Okay, I'm just going to hold on to it. Now, this sounds, for all, let's be honest, for all of us who are savers, for all of us who are savers, doesn't this sound pretty smart? I mean, this sounds like a, a wise, wise man. Basically, what the rich man said was this. I'm going to save it now to consume it later. I'm going to save it now to consume it later. Now, let me pick on all the savers. I am one, okay? Let me pick on all the savers for a minute. Because we look at you spenders who spend more than you make or you spend all that you make, and we look at you and go, oh, my gosh, you got no discipline. Like, that's just so dumb. You're creating all kinds of problems for yourself. We look at you and are like, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? What are you thinking? You're just so you're greedy. You're greedy. You just want, you want, you want. You're so materialistic. Meanwhile, we're over here. We're saving, we're saving, we're saving. Nothing wrong with saving. We'll talk about that in a minute. But what often happens is, we don't realize this, we see some of you spending and consuming and we think, ah, oh, why, why would they consume all of that? But what we do when we save is we're just saving now for future consumption. We're planning on consuming it one day too. We just want to have it for later to consume. And if you're not careful, greed can show up in the form of saving. You're, you're, you're being driven by greed. I'm just, I assume this is all for my consumption. I'm just going to hold on. I'm going to consume it later instead still consuming it today. That's what the rich man... Did I'm going to hold on to this. This is all for me. I'm just going to consume it later instead of consuming it now. And then the story continues. He said, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years, so take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, the rich man says, I don't think I've got to worry about the future as much. I'm set for years and years and years. I'm good. This is a goal for some of you, isn't it? And again, nothing wrong with saving, but your goal is to get so much, you got some number in your head, to get so much saved up for future consumption that you can just take life easy when you want to and eat, drink, and be merry. But the story changes with two simple words. Jesus says, but God, oh, totally forgot about him. Wow, what's, what's he got to do with this story, Right? I mean, I planted and I harvested and I had this huge increase of rich man's going, this is all for me. What do you mean, but God? Jesus says, no, no. But God said to him, you fool. Now, why would God call him a fool? It is not because he was rich. And it wasn't because he was going to save something. God was calling him a fool because this rich man assumed that everything that was placed in his hand was for him and his consumption. And he was assuming he had plenty of years to consume it. God said, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Uh-oh. This very night your life's going to be demanded from you. So you've been assuming that you could just hoard all this up, you're going to get to enjoy it later in life. Nope, you're not. To which you spenders are like, see, I've been telling you, honey, that's why we spend it now. We're not, you know, no, 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 hang, on, hang with me. This very night, he says, your life is going to be demanded from you are going to run out of life before you run out of money. And then God asked this rich man a question that's so powerful. I'm telling you, if you just spend some time thinking about this question, it could forever change the way you look at your finances, your relationships, your entire life. He says this next. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Okay, rich man, you've been saving all this up and storing it away to consume for, fu- for the future. Okay, you, you're not going to s- see it tomorrow. You're going to lose it all before the sun comes up. And who's going to get everything you prepared for yourself? I'll tell you what the answer to that is. Somebody else. Not because the rich man was generous, because the rich man is dead. Now, I don't mean to be morbid here, but whatever your world is when it comes to finances... If we could take all of your assets and we could put them out for you to see all at once, guess what? Who is going to get all of that stuff one day? Somebody else. Somebody else. See, what God is getting at here is he is driving at this idea of who owns all this. Who owns all this? And the rich man would go, well, I own all this. I earned all this. To which God's going, no, 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 you're missing the point. You don't really own it if you can consume it and it just disappears. You don't really own it if you can lose it at some point in the blink of an eye. You don't really own it if you're going to leave it someday to somebody else and you can't take it with you. You're not owning it. You're just using it. You're not owning it. You're just managing it. You're not owning it. You're just temporarily in charge of everything you have. It's not going with you forever. See, all that stuff that you worry about so much, all that stuff that you want, all that stuff that you're driving to get, if you think you own it, then you're going to fall into the consumption assumption. You're going to assume it's all for me. What am I going to do to benefit me? And greed is going to drive your life. You're not even going to realize it, but you think you own it, so you can be greedy with it. God's going, no, no, no. You missed it, rich guy. You missed it. You're going to leave it all behind, and you're leaving it all behind because I'm reminding you, you don't own any of it to begin with. It's not yours. You should have paid more attention to what and how you could have managed this a little bit better while you had it. And then Jesus ends the story with this conclusion. He says this, this idea that this rich man had a total loss. He thought he had it all planned out. He thought everything was going to work great. He lost it all. He didn't really own any of it. Jesus says this, the same kind of total loss, is how it will be. And now here's what's so important. Jesus is about to describe your future if you let greed drive your life. Jesus is about to describe your future if you live in that cycle that we talked about at the beginning. Jesus is about to describe exactly where you're going to end up because it's predictable. He says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Now, real quickly, what's it mean to be rich toward God? Well, think of it this way. What would it mean to be rich toward me? If you want to be rich toward me, what would you do? I'll tell you what you would do. If I want to be rich toward you, what would I do? I'll tell you what I would do. I would be generous towards the people that you care about and the causes that you care about most. That's how you're rich towards somebody. If you want to be rich towards me, you know what you do? You'd be rich towards my wife and kids. You don't have to do anything for me. But if you're rich towards my wife and kids, and if you're you're rich towards the causes, if you're generous towards the causes that matter to me, oh my goodness, you've been generous to me. You've been rich towards me. It changes the nature of our relationship because of how you've expressed that generosity. Well, the same thing is true when it comes to God. The way you're rich towards God is you're rich towards the people that God cares about. That's every eye that you lock eyes with. You're, you're rich towards the causes that God's most passionate about in this world. You figure out how to express generosity towards those things. See, here's, here's what generous people understand. I've been fortunate to have been around some people who really, they are generous to the core of their being. All income levels, it didn't matter. They were just generous to the core of their being. And they think differently than the rest of us. It's why they don't live in that cycle we talked about. Generous people understand that generosity is what breaks a grip of greed in the human heart. Nothing else will do it. Absolutely nothing. Generous people understand that generosity is what crushes the consumption assumption in your life. That if you want to be free from your money, free from greed, free from this idea of worry and you know, lack of self-control, and oh my gosh, I'm so stressed, if you want to be free from all that, as odd as it sounds, the only way you do it is you learn to become generous. Let me tell you real quickly how generous people think differently. Generous people don't assume it's theirs to consume. I've never met a truly generous person who believed this. They all believe, no, nope, it's not mine to consume. I've I got, got a small little pile of stuff here. i got a medium-sized pile. i got this huge pile. It doesn't matter the size. They all believe, nope, this is not mine. In other words, what's been placed in my hand is not for me, first and foremost. I don't get to just decide what I want to do with it. Generous people, here's how different they are. This may seem odd, but I'm just telling you, I've never met a generous person who didn't do this. Whatever is placed in their hand, the first thought of a generous person is, God, what do you want me to do with this? Because I'm assuming it's not all mine to consume. There's nothing wrong with consuming some of it. There's nothing wrong with enjoying some of it. But I'm not going to start by figuring out how I want to consume it. I'm going to start by saying, God, I think you gave me this to manage. What do you want me to do? with it generous people have understood something really really important that if the rest of us would get it it would change everything in our lives generous people understand that ownership ownership is a myth and consumption creates a mess so i'm telling you you feel like you own things you don't really own them because you could walk out of here today and by the time you get home you could have lost it all so do you really own it you don't really control it ownership is a myth And consumption, this is important, consumption creates a mess. I don't have to convince you of this because you know people, you know people who consume, consume, consume and their consumption choices have impacted your life negatively. You know people who have made financial consumption decisions that have made your life a mess because of the mess they created in theirs. Consumption creates a mess in our relationships. You can't can't keep it quarantined. Consumption creates a mess in our careers, consumption creates a mess in our families. It just, wherever we go, you can't hide the impact of greed. What's in you is going to come out of you no matter what you do. And it shows up in all different areas. It creates a mess. It creates stress and worry and anxiety and fear and pride and selfishness and ego and wicked materialism. We could just go on and on and on. Now, this is not anti you shouldn't spend or anti you shouldn't save. Nope. We're instructed to save, and you may not know this, but God's entrusted us to consume some of what he's given us and to enjoy it. He said, I gave it to you for you to enjoy. This is about you create a mess when you make two very good things, saving and spending, when you make them the top priority and not generosity. Because when you make saving or spending the top priority, then everything in your world revolves around you, 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 and that's a really small world to live in. And selfishness has some really negative impacts on us and the people around us. And you think you hide it and you think you keep it from impacting other people. It doesn't. Back before Christmas, I sat down, had the opportunity to sit down with a group of middle school boys in our transit environment, and I led their small group one Sunday. Their group leader got sick, and I wasn't speaking that day, so I just jumped in and led it. And the first question that uh, I asked them was, okay, you know, the holidays are coming up. Tell me, what, what stresses your family out most as Christmas approaches? And guess what every single middle school boy except one said? Money. Those were middle school, middle school boys who their parents, they didn't realize, their parents don't think they, their kids are understanding, they're worrying about money. Their parents don't realize their kids are recognizing they're in this cycle. Those middle school boys said, money, money, that's what's stressing our family out most. And they started opening up talking about that. The one boy who didn't, I happen to know their family. And I happen to know how hard they practice this idea of generosity. It's why he doesn't feel that. Because they don't live in that cycle like everybody else. You think you can hide it, you can't hide it. It's going to impact your family, it's going to impact your friends, it's going to impact all your relationships. Generous people just think differently. Generous people think like managers, not owners and not consumers. They think like managers. So I want to give you one question I want to get you out of here, Okay. Because I don't want anything from you here. I just want something for you. So I want to encourage you to do one thing this week. Some of you trust me enough to do this. Some of you don't know me, so you, you, know, you don't trust me. That's okay. You shouldn't trust me. Some of you trusted me till about 10 minutes ago when I got right up in your business with all this. So I get that. But I'm not asking you to change anything this week, okay? I just want you to think about think about this one question. If I believed this is God's, not mine, then what would I change? With whatever comes in your hand this week, think about all the things that you have. I don't, you don't have to do anything different, but just spend a week imagining, okay, if I really believed I didn't own this, I'd just manage it. If I really believed it's all on a loan to me from God, if I believed this was God's, not mine, then what would I change about what I'm doing financially? I'll tell you what you would experience if you made those changes. You would experience more peace and less worry. You'd experience more self-control less consumption. You'd actually give more, save more, and spend less or consume less. You'd be more content. You'd have more discipline. You would be happier. You would be happier because Jesus said, happy is a person whose life revolves around giving rather than receiving. This week, wrestle with that question. Next week, we'll talk about what to do about it. Y'all have a great Sunday and a great week. We'll see you here next Sunday.